Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and in today's episode of the Beyond the Veil, we're going to be taking a look at an up-and-coming release for the Call of Cthulhu RPG, simply titled Arkham. Uh, but before we do, I do want to take a quick moment to thank Chaosium themselves for providing uh, an advanced review copy of Arkham for the purposes of the review that will be coinciding with the release of this episode. Back in February 16th, 2024, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to sit down with the creative director at Chaosium, Mike Mason, to discuss all things Arkham. And so without any further ado, sit back and enjoy the interview. Welcome back to another episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and with me today is a very special returning guest. We have the creative director over at Chaosium, none other than Mike Mason. Mike, how you doing today? Hi, I'm, I'm great, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Looking forward to it. It's a pleasure. And the, the first time we had you on the show, you had mentioned that uh, Chaosium and and you and the rest of the team, we're, we're working on the Arkham Sourcebook, and today we're actually here to discuss the release of that book, which is very exciting. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, it kind of shows how long it takes to kind of get these books out as well. Uh, you know, we put a lot of work into them and uh, to, to, to make them as, as, as good as they can be, I guess. And so, uh, yeah, so there's a bit of a gap, I guess, between talking about it and then having it in your hands. Absolutely. I mean, this book is really almost 35 years in the making at this point in, in many respects with, um, with Keith Herber's original Arkham Unveiled. Uh, for, for those in the audience that aren't aware, um, much of the foundation of this book uh, comes from that 1990 uh, book, the Arkham Unveiled series. And uh, that was originally written by the late uh, Keith Herber, uh, Mike, did you ever have a chance to meet Keith? Unfortunately, no, no, um, no, I didn't, uh, which is a real shame. But because uh, I always uh, enjoyed Keith's work, and um, and that's partly one of the reasons why I was very keen to to revisit Arkham and uh, build on the uh, the kind of real kind of milestone and great work that Keith had put into not only Arkham but the the series of books that followed Arkham with Innsmouth and Dunwich and, and Kingsport and so on. Um, and they've been on my to-do list for some time. Um, and so I'm finally getting around to being able to kind of uh, enact that wish that I had to kind of, you know, to see these books back in print and back on gaming tables. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, one of my fellow co-hosts, who's unfortunately not here today, he loves the original 1990 book. He still has his from when he was in college, and he he still uses it to this day. And for me, it was really fascinating uh, in your introduction and in the foreword to kind of read about the history of the book and sort of like where you drew a lot of the inspiration from. And like you said, you know, a, a book like this really does take a long time. And uh, I was curious, Mike, like how, how long did your team spend on on writing this book and gathering resources for all of this? Well, um, this was pretty much my pet project. So um, it was pretty much just me. Really? Wow. <laughs> and um 
So uh, I, I worked. I, I had a bit of help initially uh, from Brett Kramer, who uh, has got a wealth of knowledge about um, the kind of Lovecraftian fictional towns. And Brett, you know, provided some suggestions and uh, and, uh, and some work uh, initially on the text, which I then took uh, effectively redeveloped the entire book myself. So in terms of timescale, I guess it was um, it wasn't quite a year, but it was. Uh, uh, somewhere between six and eight months, I guess, to kind of really nail it all and say it's done. Because a lot of that isn't just the writing. It's actually looking at uh, the streets of Arkham and, and remapping them, uh, working very closely with my colleague, Matt Ryan, who's our in-house cartographer at Curzium. Uh, and we were coming up with uh, you know, the look of the look of the town, building on Keith's original, but but kind of filling that out. And, uh, you know, in the original, there were, you know, there was a handful of minor mistakes or, 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 or omissions rather than mistakes, I should say, that we wanted to ensure that we we caught this time around. Just, you know, streets, to, some houses that don't really have a, a street that they connect to, that kind of thing. So we just wanted to kind of really map all that out. So there's a lot of that. And obviously that involves checking and ensuring that the addressing, the addresses for the houses have a system and they work and, and numbering all of the locations. And, you know, when you when you insert some new locations, you have to renumber them all and working out how to best number them on the maps in terms of, you know, when you're looking at a map, how, how easy it is to find the different locations. So there's a lot of kind of hidden work that you, you know, you don't really see that's kind of beyond just the writing in that sense. And then obviously there's a whole side to in terms of the actual graphic design and uh, art, art and so forth and art direction and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it does, it kind of all mounts up all this time and and then obviously you know you're into copy editing the text and proofing the text and and all of these things so uh yeah it's interesting you bring up the the formatting and the layout of the book because that was something i had in my in my notes and in my review of the book was that i found the layout to be so cognizant of the fact that people are probably going to control f through a lot of the document to try to quickly find things and it was it was such a wonderful experience going through the book and i, I think that work really paid off well thanks thanks to that's great feedback to hear because um because there's a lot of cross-referencing uh and internal navigation in a book like this you want it to be easy even if you're not you know if you're not using electronically just as a book in your hands you want to be able to ensure that where we mention a location there's a clear link to where you can find out more about that location in the book. And obviously, if you are using electronically, you know, we wanted to make sure they were all hyperlinked and so you could you know, navigate your way around pretty quickly. So, yeah, yeah, that's that was an important kind of factor within this style of book. And, and it's yeah, the graphic design and all the art is is really stunning in the book as well. And it, the, the cartography was really interesting to me because not to kind of jump ahead a little bit here, but each of the. Each of the corresponding neighborhoods in the book has this really nice map at the beginning of each section, which I, I think really helps to aid visually aid the reader and like where they are in relation to everything else. Um, yeah. But, but Arkham is really primarily a keeper-focused book, right? You know, there there is a, a few things for for players and to kind of chomp their chomp at the bit at uh there's a couple new skills and mechanics that are introduced in the book uh one one skill that really caught my eye was the religion skill which i feel was sort of was one of those skills that i kind of feels like it should have already been in the game but it wasn't 
And, <laughs> you know, kind of reading it, like, this wasn't in the game already? You know, when, when those types of subjects have come up in my games, Mike, I tend to lean towards, like, a cult or education or maybe a character's background to sort of determine whether or not a player might know or learn something. But, uh, but I think in many ways the, the occult and the religion are related. So I wanted to ask you, Mike, what would, what would make you call for a religion role versus something like an occult role? Yeah, I mean, that's a, um, a skill that's been on my mind since we kind of redeveloped Call of Cthulhu into the seventh edition of the game. Um, and for quite a long time, we've kind of lumped religion in with the law skill. So if you um, were an expert in a particular type of mainstream religion, we could kind of lump it into the law skill, but it just didn't really feel right. And given that a lot of, uh, a lot of Call of Cthulhu and a lot of the kind of plots are all around some kind of religious basis or, or some group, group's belief, whether they're a, a cult or, or whatever it is in the game, it felt there was a, a need for a just a kind of a, a standalone religion skill that kind of makes sure that you know you have a, a, a an awareness and a certain degree of knowledge about what we would term mainstream religions generally and uh, so that's a straight religion role and it would allow you to kind of compare and contrast it's almost like a you know a better name might be a comparative religion skill um so when you are looking into a uh, strange or weird belief system that, that the cult you're investigating uh, holds, you can maybe use the skills in combination, you know, not only a cult, but also the religious skills to actually show where there are commonalities and where they veer differently. So, for instance, in a plot, it might be that um, the, the, the cult's leader is giving a sermon of some kind, but it's peppered it with lots of... Um, references that, that are drawn from the Bible, let's say, to get to kind of give it an authenticity. Now, using those skills allows you to kind of really realise that and, and to understand what they're doing. And so they're not just giving a sermon, but they're using a sermon to manipulate, which kind of gives kind of further um, background to that person and their motivations for you as an investigator to think, oh, you know, we weren't sure this person's bad, but now on hearing what they've said and how they've how they've reused kind of what are common common known kind of pieces of uh, religious uh, text or so forth, um, and we see how we can see how they're twisting it to to actually do something else, and so it's a kind of another another string to kind of research in a sense uh, in that way. Kind of use religion to suss out occult activity in a way. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that, I mean that's just one one example, but I mean there's a lot of you know a lot of people you know, end up kind of creating a character who is um, particularly religious. And um, and so, you know, having a kind of a skill that kind of quantifies their their understanding of that religion or and other religions um, can help in, the kind of, in terms of developing that character as they go forward potentially as well. Yeah, I think especially in a town like Arkham, that is really, uh, it has a very deep religious history in a way, right, with you know, Cassiah uh, Mason and the Witch's Coven and uh, the very deep Protestant um, history of Massachusetts in general. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to draw on from that. And uh, yes, yeah, I think the book goes into pretty great lengths and uh, trying to be as accurate as possible when it comes to the geography of Arkham, which was something I really appreciated as someone from New England. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean Matt, who uh, who did the maps, is you know uh, uh, in New England himself. So yeah, we were able to kind of draw on his local knowledge in terms of how you know how things could operate. And and obviously it's a it's a hybrid. It, it is fictional, so there are it's not quite exactly like Salem, let's say, in that sense. But there is there is some commonalities there and some kind of New Englandness that we've tried to kind of layer in where we can. Because um, ultimately, what we want the book to do is to kind of make Arkham feel like home. You know, to, so although players may be coming into the game not really knowing anything about Arkham, the whole idea is that they can they can learn it as they play and in you know in very piecemeal, easy stages. So they haven't got to they haven't got to sit and read this whole book before they can actually run you know play in a game. So it's a manual for the keeper to kind of dip in and out of and to use as and when they need really to kind of help them to kind of build the Arkham setting that, that they want in their games because not everyone not everyone's version of Arkham will be the same and so this is kind of like a baseline that you can draw from and inspire you to kind of uh, go in whichever direction you want to go and you know you, you do a lot of a lot of work in addressing and reiterating that you know Arkham is very much your Arkham in this book you know that there is no uh, concrete scenarios per se in the book it's all you know bits and pieces of stories here and there as they're related to the uh, locations of arkham or its various uh, um, monuments and, and things like that and I, I found that that was actually a much better approach than just kind of laying out a bunch of scenarios and saying well here you go here's a bunch of scenarios in arkham i i really liked the approach that this book took it makes it feel much more like a living town in that way with not only this geography but then you have this extensive like history and and rich cast of characters that a keeper can draw from and really like you said create their own arkham yeah no absolutely that, i mean that's exactly the intention was that it wasn't just going to be a here's five scenarios set in arkham and once you played them you kind of you're not really left with much to then take further whereas this book gives you a many many different kind of plot seeds and ideas for uh, running games and so um the intention was that, you know people would dip in out of it if something catches their eye they can then build a scenario around it uh, and um and it kind of works in two ways the whole book is that you know you could set and your entire campaign could be based you know in Arkham and then you know maybe you'll travel further afield but you know your home is Arkham and all the things that are going on there um and equally uh it provides a you know a firm foundation for those who want to play a series of one shots maybe but all set in the same locale with the same characters so a kind of a, a kind of like a campaign but not quite so intensive i guess um the other thing is we, we've released lots of scenarios over you know 40 odd years of cthulhu and many of them do take place in arkham and those can be mapped into this you know from this new book and, and slotted in very easily uh, if you want to you know use existing scenarios equally there's plenty of scenarios that aren't set in Arkham that can be very easily translated into being set in Arkham. So again, there wasn't really a need to, oh, we must have some Arkham scenarios to pull out of this book because everyone will need them. Well, no, because there's plenty of Arkham scenarios that we've already published that you can use directly with the book. Many of the scenarios that aren't set in Arkham, you can still use with the book. And the book itself has got lots of kind of connective tissue and plot ideas for you to kind of build up from those scenarios or, or or just create your own so that's you know that's very much the focus and obviously you know in time 
we, we will put out more Arkham specific scenarios that kind of you know work as well with the book. But you know, for anyone who's picking up the book and thinking, well, what do I play with it? Well, if you're not ready to kind of design your own scenarios, well, you know, there's many many books we've done from Doors of Darkness, Gateway to Terror, Mansions of Madness, all of which pretty much 90% of the scenarios in those books um, can be, you know, either already do or can be, you know, uh, happening in Arkham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the, there's certainly not a, a wealth of uh, scenarios you could draw from, and even the Miskatonic Repository, too, if you if you really needed more scenarios at that point as well. Well, and exactly. Yeah, I, I'm just talking about the ones I, you know, I've worked on, but there, there are you know, inevitably going to be uh, uh, some really interesting and cool scenarios that, that, you know, appear on the repository going forward with the release of the book that tie in, you know, that tie in very clearly to the book. And uh, so I think people are, you know, are not going to be uh, hard up for a, to find scenarios, I don't think, in the, in the, as we go forward. And I think another thing that really breathes a lot of life into Arkham as a setting is uh, the return of the reputation uh, mechanic, as well as the rumors and gossip that I think are very closely tied to one another. Um, so for those who aren't aware, Mike, uh, what is reputation and why would a group want to include the mechanic in their games? Well, it, I mean, we, we state that it's an optional skill. You don't have to you don't have to use the mechanic in your games if you don't want to. Um, but the idea is, if you are if you have a group of investigators who live and work in Arkham, then what they do in the town is could have an effect on you know on their reputations and relationships with everyone else in town. For instance, you know, if the investigators keep getting caught you know, breaking into breaking into places they shouldn't be breaking into, then they're going to get a reputation for maybe being criminals. If they uh, are running down the street with Tommy guns, shooting at invisible monsters, clearly that's going to have a repercussion and impact on when they then go to the bank manager and ask for a loan or something. The bank manager, hey, you're the guy that was in the newspaper shooting at invisible monsters. I don't think we're going to give you any money. So, uh, <laughs> so again, it's the, the idea to kind of make it a living and breathing uh, town where you live. It's not static. So your, uh, so again, your actions have uh, have implications. There's a, you know things things may happen. And equally, not just bad things. If you are, you know, forever saving the day, and you, you know you find the missing person and. It's in the newspaper, or you save someone's life, and and uh, you know being very heroic in that way, then then reputation will work in that way too. And maybe when you walk in the bank, that they're, they're they're offering you glasses of wine and offering you as much credit as you want because you're a local hero. Um, so it works both ways, but the intent is that it's the living, breathing place where your actions have consequences. And also, I should say for those of you who have. Um, I've been you know, reading and playing the Regency Cthulhu book, which just which also has a reputation mechanic in. This is a slightly different version. It's, it's actually less paperwork and a little less uh, in depth than the Regency one, which is where reputation is very kind of much um, part of the bread and butter of that particular setting because of the the nature of society in that setting. Whereas here. It's it's a it's a lighter touch version, which is uh, a little less onerous in terms of paperwork and, and that kind of thing, I guess, uh, to just make it you know a, an easy mechanic if you wish to use it. But I, I kind of think that most groups, if they run a campaign, 
where Arkham is their main focus, are probably going to make use of the reputation kind of mechanics because they're, they're pretty intuitive and pretty straightforward and they they, they they work on existing existing mechanics in Call of Duty. So there's nothing new in that sense, but it's just how you use it to kind of make, make reputation a, a thing of value in, in the game. And I think on a similar uh, note too, the, the rumors and gossip tables, you know, I think there's like over a hundred... Uh, different rumors and gossips that are peppered throughout various locales and uh, some general ones too that players may come across in their travels as well Uh, mike you didn't have to put so many in the (laughs) but you did and you know i think that's it's really awesome and not only does it give you a a smattering uh, per location and per neighborhood which is great but it also gives you sort of a springboard to generate more of your own rumors for your own games, which I thought was uh, really awesome too. Do you think that's that's fair to say, Mike? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the the, the intention was that the uh, the Arkham gossip kind of rumor tables are very much keyed to a specific neighborhood and location, which is written up in the book, and so it's a it's a kind of a way to either begin plots or to kind of add further kind of. Um, life to Arkham and kind of maybe plant seeds for potential plots down the down the road uh, and to draw people's attention to different locations because obviously in a game sense you want to be able to kind of you know point people in a in a certain direction when you're running the game to kind of say hey I heard something strange about that house, that house on the hill and do you know anything about that and then you, you know you're off with a with investigation but um they're kind of quite varied some of them are kind of a bit cheeky some of them are uh, you know, some of them are on the nail. Some of them are very vague. It, it really kind of mixes it up, really. But they are—they're there to kind of be handy when you, you know, when you're talking to an NPC in Arkham and you're and you're thinking, well, what can this NPC say? Well, you could just grab a couple of these and throw them into the conversation to give you something to talk about. But equally, you could build them into actually your plan for a scenario. And as you say as well, the idea is that. As you're reading through, hopefully you're inspired and you get ideas yourself and then you start creating your own kind of gossip and rumours that you can uh, use within your own games. And um, and we've added a kind of a, a more general gossip kind of table right at the back, which uh, which doesn't link to any particular location, but just kind of gives a, a, a bunch of really short scenario suits really to kind of say, hey, here's something cool you might want to you might want you know to go and investigate and build a scenario out of this so throughout the book whether whether you're looking at the rumor tables or you're looking at the locations and looking at the npcs who live and work there i've tried to pepper through as many plot ideas story ideas scenario seeds as i can to to just make it you know no, no matter where you look there's there's something you can go and do and investigate if that's what you want you know to focus on that, that was the intention, so Arkham wouldn't be boring. <laughs> There's lots of things happening. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like even if you didn't uh, necessarily plan to make one of those rumors a scenario, your your players will probably just jump down the rabbit hole, and you'll be forced to do it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> sure, um, sure. I did want to ask, one thing that made me curious, Mike, was, was there any ever consideration about adding... Uh, a modern section to the book, or did you plan to stick to the 1920s throughout the whole uh, the whole development of the book? Uh, the plan was always to stick to the the 1920s. I mean, what I did do was the original 1990 version was actually Arkham in 1928, 
I wanted to kind of move it earlier. So I, I've moved the book and all its contents to begin around 1922. And the reason for that is many of um, Lovecraft's stories that take place in Arkham happen after 1922 uh, or they happened before 1928. So if you as a if you as a gaming group want to actually tell your versions of some of the original kind of uh, Arkham stories, you know, be that the thing on the doorstep or, or, or uh, reanimator or whatever it may be, moving it earlier in the decade gives you more room to do that. And you can actually or, or if you're not actually playing through those fictional stories as games, you can have them as set dressing and a backdrop. You know, you could you could be maybe in the course of your own investigation, wander right through the middle of the thing on the doorstep and kind of, hey, what's going on there? <laughs> and, and kind of, which again, kind of makes Arkham a living place because it's not just all evolving around the player characters, there's other things happening as well. And so, and sometimes the player characters may get involved in that or maybe the main kind of protagonist in that, or they could just be bystanders as they watch some craziness happening elsewhere in Arkham, which again builds that kind of sense that Arkham is constantly moving and evolving in its own right. It's sort of a, a mist, a ethereal mist in that way. It's always shape-shifting into whatever the Keeper really wants it to be. Absolutely. And to kind of just to kind of go back and say about the modern day, well, I, I mean, given what you have in the Arkham book, although it is set in the 1920s, by the modern day, yeah, okay, communications would be different, but they'd be different anywhere. Um, but in terms of the buildings and so on, you know, the majority of Arkham will still look pretty much the same. You know, you go to Salem now, okay, and how, how you know, some buildings will have changed, some new ones have come up, some more modern fascias and so forth, and maybe the, maybe the town has expanded with new neighbourhoods. But the heart of the actual place it's not to be that different. And and I think that most people, you know, if they wanted to, you know, just run Arkham in the modern day, can probably do so with the book without, with minimal, minimal need to change a great deal, to be honest, uh, you know, and, and, and who's to say, you know, maybe, maybe down the road, you know, we might look at doing some sort of modern, modern take or advice on here's what you could do with a modern day Arkham. But, um, but I felt, you know, the book was already big enough that if I started, yeah, 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 redoing yeah. the te- redoing redoing it for modern day would probably, you know, you know, get twice the size. And so um, I kind of, you know, left it to players to kind of, if they want to modernize it, then it's not that hard to do, to be honest. No, it's really not, especially New England. Like a lot of these towns really don't look that much different than when they did a hundred years ago. To be really honest with you. Uh, I mean, aside from maybe a Dunkin' Donuts around, like, every other corner. But, <laughs> sure. Um, sure. But, yeah, they really do feel very much the same, you know, as someone from New England. I can confirm that, so. Well, that's great to hear. Great to hear. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to discuss with you, too, Mike, is uh, clubs and organizations in Arkham. Because I think it's sort of inevitable that players will likely be members of, well, something, and whether they're uh, together in a some sort of club organization as sort of a base of operations or it's something that they kind of do separately to pursue other goals, um, was there any other organizations from, from other materials you perhaps thought about including but didn't for one reason or another? Because th- there's already so many in the book that I, I would imagine you kind of had to cut some things out at some point. 
to kind of go back and say, you know, what I wanted to do that wasn't in the original Arkham book was was to have this sense of, well, the investigators, if they're living in Arkham, then there's a great opportunity to, to take part in these different kind of clubs and societies, which could in themselves be an investigator organisation, uh, which is an idea kind of taken from the the investigators handbook uh, where we kind of talk about having the investigators bonded together in some way in terms of their work and fighting the mythos what again in terms of a in terms of a campaign style play i wanted to kind of ensure there are ways for characters to develop the skills uh, of their characters by just living in arkham uh, you know i wanted it to be real because you know where i live i can go to the i can join a choir improve my singing i could uh, go to the gym or a boxing club and, you know, maybe my fighting skill will go up. Uh, maybe I can join the local history society and know more about, you know, what, what the locality is offering uh, and so on and so on. And so um, as you're going through all these uh, locations in Arkham, you know, many of them have some involvement with some sort of social society or club, you know, the Arkham Gun Club, the uh, First Ladies of Arkham, the Amateur Theatre Company, which are all in the book. Uh, and so all I did was kind of go through, here's all the places where you could have some sort of club, basically, and then pull them out and kind of think, well, what, what would, who would want to be there? Who would want to join that? What would they get out of it? What would be the benefits of membership? So, you know, if you've um, joined the amateur acting club, maybe after a few months, your your disguise or your acting skill is going to have a chance to go up because, you know, you've been training, you're better than you were. And so all these things are kind of tie into kind of that sense of ongoing character development within the framework. But obviously there's lots of layers to this as well, because, you know, if you're in a club and you, you know, one benefit is you're going to get a, a, an improved skill. The second benefit is you're going to be meeting other NPCs in Arkham and maybe they're potential allies, but, you know, down the line, maybe they're an enemy down the line. Maybe, maybe the, uh, you know, the guy you go to gym with, you know, uh, and, and you work out, it's actually a member of the cult that you don't know about yet, but you will learn in time. And maybe that person is going to be a, a an enemy or potentially an ally when they, you know, you maybe, maybe because you've got a relationship, you can persuade them to kind of reveal the cult secrets and they kind of become a mole for you. So there's lots of kind of layers to that, the idea of the societies that you can hopefully kind of really kind of you know, get into and dig into uh, in play. They're not just purely, you know, skill machines, but um, but they offer that as well. But they're they're there to kind of again make Arkham a living and breathing place. But as you say, that there, there's quite a lot of them. Um, so I didn't really have, as you said, I didn't really have a lot of room to add furthermore. But that doesn't mean you can't. If you want to take any of the the investigator organisations uh, from Pulp Cthulhu or the Investigator Handbook. You can very easily transplant them into Arkham or have a uh, a chapter that you know is 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 working in Arkham. Or in fact, your investigators may be the instigators and go, "Hey, um, you know, we've all moved in from Boston, where we were members of the Silver Twilight Lodge, and we want to open a new chapter here." And they become, you know, they they actually organise it. But that's all that's all available, I guess. It's all you know, all down to the style and and and. Um, direction you want to take you know your version of Arkham in. I, th- I think kind of on a similar note too there's obviously cults right and the witch's coven is i think one of the is just a great template for a cult i love how 
each of the NPCs and the major players in the cult have these, you know, brief but um, concise descriptions about them, and they have these nice portraits, and there, there was enough information there to really, I think you could build a whole campaign just on the Witch's Coven section, and it's only a few pages long, but it gives you a lot of great information about the cult itself, but it's it didn't feel like you were trying to like shoehorn it in. Like it felt like a very natural part of of Arkham in the way that it was constructed. Yeah, well, that, that, that that's that's exactly you know the intention. Um, it's not a scenario. It's not you know it doesn't say the cult will do these things, the witch coven will do these things. But what it what it gives you is a again a, a range of options. I mean, I, I see if I was you know running uh, Arkham campaign. I would have the witch cult in existence, uh, but I wouldn't have them as the the antagonists from day one. I'd have them just in the background. You may not even be aware they're there and and kind of really slow drip that information in over the course of a, a longer campaign. Uh, and because maybe initially, you know, some of the members, you know, you don't know who's in the coven. So you don't know, you know who you're talking to for one, but maybe you do find out, maybe one comes forward who can offer some sort of help and so initially they start out maybe as someone you know you only know one person in there but they seem quite a nice person there they offer to help the investigators when they need something a little strange and so it kind of starts an interesting relationship but actually in time could actually turn around and the actually the uh the coven actually becomes the villains in this piece you know you know you 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 pull away the onion skin and reveal the other members and realize they're not all as nice as the one person you've met. Uh, that was just, you know, and, you know, there's lots of ways to kind of build them in the campaign. Or you could just from day one go, okay, these are the big bads in my campaign. Uh, and the whole point of the investigation is they're going to, they're going to take the coming down, but it's going to take them a lot of time and a lot, a lot of work to do so because there's many members of the coven. They've all got their own agendas of why they're in the coven and they don't all agree. Uh, and uh, and so again, there's a lot of plot and role playing possibilities there to kind of uh, to explore in the game, and that that was the intention that you could layer it in to Arkham however you want, uh, you know, from from being minor players that build to become major players, you know, uh, however you you know want to take it really. And so, remind me, Mike. Uh, not only so if i purchase the physical book i get the book the pdf and then there's also a map that comes with it as well right well that's that's right yes yeah. so if you purchase um from um Chaosium directly or you go to uh, a local game store that's part of the bits and mortar uh, scheme then when you buy the print copy you get the you get the pdf for free as well and uh, in both versions of the books there are these additional bits of material so when you buy the the, the book you get a um two well four large maps you get like a player's street map of arkham you get a keeper's street map of arkham you've got a uh the outskirts of arkham in terms of all the land around it and what's what's there and then there's also a kind of a a, a map of massachusetts uh with uh you know real places on like you know boston and so forth but also where these uh, in-game fictional places are, like where, where Arkham actually is and where Innsmouth is and so on. So you have all those as game aids. But there's also a, a newspaper, the uh, the Arkham Advertiser newspaper. There's a, uh, a four-page pull-out prop newspaper full of uh, you know 1922 stories uh, and information on characters and locations. 
uh, and so on. And that 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 again, you can use as a as a, a real prop on the table. Use it to inspire adventures. Use it to kind of provide information about the setting itself. Um, and that that looks splendid because uh, that was done by Andrew and Sean of the HP Lovecraft Historical Society. So so they you know they 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 are great at making props. And so um, I worked with those guys to uh, to produce this as a uh, an insert kind of fold out that comes with the print book, but obviously also comes in the PDFs as well. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah, I'm a. I'm actually a member of the HPL Chase myself, and man, they make incredible stuff. It's it's really glorious. So if you haven't checked that out, I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. But uh, but before we close out, Mike, is there anything else that you'd want to say? Perhaps anything you want to shout out before we uh, take a close on the episode? Yeah, I mean, you re- you mentioned earlier actually about the Metacatonic Repository, and and um, oh yes, in fact today we 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 just realised that. Um, a really important milestone that's been reached by the people who are the community content creators for the uh, Miskatonic repository that we we've had over uh, 150,000 sales on the repository now which is amazing i mean uh, and it's only a, a small number of years that the repository has been live and uh, and that's you know that's available on drive through rpg and it's just packed with people out there in the community who are sharing their their scenarios their play aids their content uh that you can you know you can you know purchase for very reasonable fees um and get you know uh, a whole wealth of additional kind of material and as you said earlier if you're looking for a a quick short play one night kind of game that you know you can you can easily find that on the repository for a pretty low cost and some real real quality scenarios too so it's really nice to see that and i think this kind of just marry with with Arkham because I think once the book is actually out of people's hands I think we're going to see a lot of Arkham based material uh, on the repository and um, pushing you know pushing those uh, product the number of products on there and the sales so forth so which is great it's, it's great to see people putting their you know putting their ideas out there for people to share and, and to use and to you know have fun around the gaming table with really and so uh it's a it's a wonderful kind of resource that didn't exist when I was a young writer. <laughs> All we had was paper fanzines. That's a, and you know maybe you could maybe you could uh, hand out you know twenty or so, and then that's about it. But you know now we have places like Drive Through where we where we have the repository, which just means you can share your creativity with the world, really, and that's just amazing. So uh, and there's some really and absolutely really great content on there. So it's really nice to see that milestone kind of um being you know being hit really yeah so how long has the repository been around mike and how how would one go about perhaps if they felt so inspired to submit their own material into the repository yeah sure well i mean it 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 was launched around december uh 2018 so you know what that just under six years ago or so it's really easy to put your stuff on the repository, I should say. Um, so if you go to the actual Miskatonic repository at Drive Through RPG, some of the first documents you can see are guide guidelines and templates. So we provide kind of guidelines of what you can do, things you should avoid, but also there's some uh, actual design templates such as uh, in InDesign, also in MS Word, depending on what kind of platform you're using. So you have all that to start with. But what we also have is our community ambassadors, people like Bridget Jeffries, Nick Brooke, and so forth, who are who work to support, guide, answer ideas, help anyone who's interested in trying to get their their material upon the repository. And 
it's really easy to kind of interact with those people that they're available on uh things like facebook we have a uh there's a facebook um repository kind of creators page uh where you can uh interact with our ambassadors but also interact with the many hundreds of people who already have done it and who want to share their share their expertise share their help and um and so there's lots of ways to kind of you know not feel like you're on your own really there's there's a, there's a lot of support out there and a lot of people have made use of that to to get their scenario up on the repository even though they've never done anything like that before they don't know anything about laying things out or how to get artwork or what they should you know what they should and shouldn't do and you know so we tried to make that as easy as possible and as welcoming and supportive as possible and uh, and guys like Nick and Bridget are, are fantastic at kind of really helping you to kind of avoid the pitfalls, jump over the hurdles and, and get your material out there in the best way possible. Um, so, you know, looking looking them up on, um, you know, on, uh, what do we call it? It's X now, X, which is uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, or place, <laughs> yeah, on social media, but particularly uh, the Facebook uh, group. Just put Miskatonic repository into Facebook, and you'll you'll find the uh, you'll find the group pretty quickly and easily. Um, but as I say, you don't even have to do that. You can just go to the uh, the page on Drive Through, and there is guidance and support documents there for you to kind of just digest and get you started, really. And so we've been talking for about the past half an hour about you know what what Arkham could mean for any particular keeper. But I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of in closing, Mike, what does what does Arkham mean to you? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> it, it means uh, well, there's many different things it means. I mean, it, it, to me, um, it is the quintessential um, Cthulhu mythos town. It, it is a place where you know it's the home of the Miskatonic University. It's the it's where many of uh, Lovecraft's original stories take place. It's where a lot of August Deleuze stories take place and other authors as well. And so it's got a rich kind of literary and story-based tradition that you can either choose to ignore or dip into as you see fit. It's a, t- it's a place that is steeped in this kind of, not, it's steeped not only in New Englandness, it's steeped in the mythos too. And it's, it's, it's wonderfully located in New England that you're, you're never far from something else. So you're not far from Salem, you're not far from Boston, you're not far from Dunwich, you're not far from Innsmouth on the coast, and so on and so forth. So this, even if you use it as a base, your characters can still go out exploring other locations and, and so on. So for me, it's very much a kind of a, a real hot pot of potential. There's, a, there's, there's so many stories that are in the book itself that you can tell, the idea being that, you know, we hopefully inspire from those stories in the book your own stories and your own your own kind of direction with how you know your games are going to go um that's for me what arkham is ultimately it's a kind of real kind of treasure chest of 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 role-playing potential really in that sense that's that's for me i think what why i wanted to do it why i enjoyed the original book uh, and why i think the new book kind of builds on that you know really good work that keith had done originally and, and builds on that to kind of you know open it even wider really and, and, and open it wider and add some more depth to it as well so it's a real kind of one-stop shop for your Call of Cthulhu campaign really. Is there anything else you uh, you wanted to say Mike or? Um, I, I'm not sure <laughs> keep, keep, just 
keep talking. But I mean, that's that's all. I mean, Arkham. Um, I'm not quite sure when this is coming out, but Arkham is actually released uh, uh, next week, which is around. Uh, I think it's the 22nd. Of, it's 25th, 22nd. Yeah. Um, uh, end end of February, let's say end of February. Uh, the actual book and PDFs are both are both released on the same day. Uh, if you're you want to be notified, then go to uh, chaosium.com, join our mailing list, and you'll get a notification as soon as it's available to uh, to, to download or buy the print. Keep your eye out, and 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 yeah, you know, I welcome uh, people seeing you know welcome people's feedback and and their ideas, seeing their ideas come to fruition when. I start to hear about how people are using the book and the games they're playing, which is always really, really cool to hear. So I look forward to kind of seeing that, you know, as time moves forward. But um, we've been talking about Arkham. We've got lots of other books coming out, you know, hot on its heels. We've got a we've got a mini campaign which partly takes place near near to Arkham. We've got a Pulp Cthulhu book coming out again that could be set in or around Arkham, and so on and so forth. So we've we've got a load of other stuff beyond Arkham. And that's not even mentioning the fact that we are currently working on Cthulhu by Gaslight, which is the uh, Victorian era kind of setting for Call of Cthulhu. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm really busy, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know we, we're trying to get it out there and get some really cool, cool stuff for people to you know have a lot of fun with. Really, that's really the and that's the whole point. You know, we make it's a game. We want people to have fun and make use of it in the best way they can. So I hope that Arkham uh, fulfills that for many people. And um, thank you again for giving me the time and opportunity to, to talk more about it. It's much appreciated. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for coming on to the show. It's much appreciated. I, I also wanted to say that, you know, Chaosium Con is coming around the corner soon, too. There's Gen Con. There's Necronomicon coming up. Yeah, you, you just clearly just don't have enough to do, Mike. Clearly don't have enough to do, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean to be frank, it's, 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 there's more than that because I've got um, this Chaosium Con in, uh, in Ann Arbor in, in, in Michigan, which is uh, the first one. And that's a, if you've not been, definitely a, a one to check out if you're in the U.S., but this year, um, we're really pleased to announce that we're doing Kersencon in Melbourne, Australia. Oh, so, um, which is cool. going to be a, 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 the first time ever, and uh, uh, that we've done something, you know, really focused down on Kersen's games, whether it's Call of Cthulhu or King Arthur Pendragon or RuneQuest and so on. There's something for you know people who live down under to uh, to uh, hopefully you know share a bit of support to those people as well and. Uh, uh, and hopefully have a good time down under as well as in the US and as well as in Europe so uh... <laughs> well thank you so much Mike for coming out of the show it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you bye bye That's going to do it for this episode of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. Be sure to check out my written review of Arkham over on thegreatoldonesgaming.com. And if you want to support the show and what we do here, you can head over to patreon.com slash thegreatoldonesgaming. We also have a Discord, which I will post a link in the show notes as well. I've been your host, Nate. I'll see you next time.